good people? How we doing? I just want to share a few messages with you really quick if you have the time. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with our staff this past week and, you know, we really feel like we haven't given you enough actionable items where our audience can go out there and make a difference in someone's life today. You know, right now is the time to do it when we're all at home um, and people are struggling out there. So um, the two groups that need help in this on these two messages are uh, patients that are going to be left without a, a hospital bed when we reach the top of the curve come mid-May uh, and the homeless. So uh, the first one is from uh, SVN. It's a shared value, one of the largest actually shared value commercial real estate firms in the United States. Um, and what they're doing is they've, they've launched a campaign called hashtag CRE to save lives. So what this is all about is uh, according to a Harvard Business Review study, there's like 924,000 hospital beds right now in the United States available. Um, and by mid-May, projections are showing there are going to be three to four million people that will have COVID-19 and will need to either be in a hospital bed or need um, to be tested. So how do we do that, right? So uh, what SVN has, has put together is uh, they have a ton of vacant spaces in a database of all these vacant spaces. Really, the message today is for medical workers, uh, for government officials. If you know somebody uh, who is in that position to make this decision, you know, please t tell them about this uh, campaign. Drive them to real-leaders.com slash solutions, uh, where they can go on, basically just contact, say, hey, I need this space. Uh, all the listings are close to hospitals. They're either drive-through facilities that they can transform into testing facilities, uh, or just vacant spaces of over a thousand square feet uh, where we can you know, set people up and uh, make sure that the heroes of COVID-19, all the medical workers right now, have a space to treat people. Uh, so it's going to be a, a group effort, a team effort, and the only way through this is together. So uh, real quick, here's a message uh, from the CEO of SVN. My name is Kevin Majacomo, CEO of SVN, one of the largest commercial real estate advisory firms in the US, and I nominate the entire organization, all of SVN, specifically Kurt Arthur, Deborah Kwok, Cameron Irons, Brent Miller, and Brian Edmonds to list their properties on real-leaders.com forward slash solutions for medical workers and locally elected government officials to collaborate for immediate access to vacant spaces for the two million patients who won't be able to be treated in a hospital when re we reach the top of the curve in mid-May. So if you are a medical professional or someone who knows someone who can take advantage of these readily available spaces, please share this video or make your own or tag them in the comment section below using hashtag CRE2SaveLives. So please help flatten the curve and join the other agents who have already placed their listings at real-leaders.com forward slash solutions. Let's do this. Let's make an immediate impact and a big difference. Thank you. Again, people, so go to real-leaders.com slash solutions. Uh, or take a video of yourself, tag us, we'll reshare it on LinkedIn, we'll reshare it, you know, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Um, and let's just make sure we get the ball rolling on this to accommodate the 2 million people that uh, might need space in, here in mid-May. We really don't know what's going to happen. So 
that's one solution. The next one actually comes from our sponsor. I think this is a, it's a great solution. Um, and you know, if, if you're a company who's uh, working remotely right now and you want to send them a little, little pick-me-up gift, great way to help out the homeless. Um, so what is Numbelievable? It's a direct-to-consumer baked goods company on a mission to donate 1 million meals to those in need by 2022. So how does it work? Every time you order a box of cookies, there's 12 cookies, a dozen cookies in a box, um, they are going to donate two meals to uh, soup kitchens across America. Uh, so obviously, you know, very difficult time right now for uh, the homeless population. Um, and this is a way we can drive funds for them in a for-profit model. Um, and also, I'm, I'm just going to throw this out here as well. Uh, they are delicious cookies. Like, I, even if you're not even about the the effort to help the homeless, or you, you know, if you if you just are a cookie lover, uh, I've got a roommate here. Yeah, I, yes, I have roommates. Yes, so I've got a roommate here who orders at like two boxes of cookies a week, and they come from a nice place, you know, down the street. He told me, he's a hard reviewer, and he told me these cookies are like an 8.7. Another roommate said it was 8.5, another one said it was a 9.1. That's saying something. And, and I'm, 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 I will go on the record, and so will they, to say these are the best cookies that you can have shipped to you in the mail. You just don't, they're, they're big, they're, they're chewy, they're, man, they're just tasty. I wish I had more to eat. Um, but we went through that box fairly fast, as you can imagine. Um, so, uh, best deal today is you're going to get 25% off. Um, you, all you got to do is go to realdashleaders.com uh, slash podcast. There's the podcast page. There's going to be a picture of a box, the Unbelievable box on there. Um, and just click on that box. It'll take you to the website. It'll automatically uh, apply a 25% discount on your on any order. So you can order as many as you want. Uh, for your employees, uh, for your family members or friends uh, during these times. A little pick-me-up gift again. Um, and they're delicious cookies. I promise you, you'll probably order another one after you try them. Uh, so real slash solutions, or you can go to an num- unbelievable website, enter in code ReLeaders, uh, all uppercase. Delicious cookies. Uh, and again, helping out those in need. And the last thing you can do, folks, is just sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. How do we actually make sure we're going beyond that and that we're going to be functioning in a world and that is, you know, is going to be here for our grandchildren? You are listening to the ReLeaders podcast, your number one source for impact leaders harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. That excerpt was from Shayla Bonini, the Vice President of Private Sector Engagement at the World Wildlife Fund, who shares the importance of cross-sector partnerships, how companies can become stewards of the environment, and what leadership is needed to go beyond the balance sheet. So let's give it up for the real Shayla Bonini. Enjoy. All right, and here we go in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining me today is the Senior uh, Vice President uh, of, of Private Sector Engagement for the World Wildlife Fund, Ms. Shayla Bonini. Shayla, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So, Shayla, the World Wildlife Fund, 
obviously known for its recognizable Panda logo. It's what got me to go to the website. Everyone knows uh, that it's able to drive capital because it's so well branded. It's such a great organization and it's so big. Um, but the question is not what I why I was drawn to the World Wildlife Fund, but Sheila, exactly what were you doing before your role in the World Wildlife Fund? I guess it sort of depends a bit how far back you want to go. So when they came to uh, and and I got a call from a headhunter saying, um, you know, World Wildlife Fund is looking for someone to head up their private sector engagement. And would you talk to them? Um I was intrigued because I've known about World Wildlife Fund for a long time, starting probably like many of us, you know, when I, it was the first organization I gave money to when I was, you know, a college student. And I remember I had a little bag with a panda on it and I, you know, took it with me everywhere. Um, and I, you know, so starting at a young age, we all have, you know, many, many of us have gotten exposure to World Wildlife Fund. But the reason that I did, um, and I can give you a little of my background, but was because I work um, with large companies on their sustainability. So the environmental impact that they have um, and trying to reduce that environmental impact. And I've been doing that for a number of years. Um, and through that work, I came to know World Wildlife Fund as a real leader because they had been engaging with so many of the companies that, you know, you and I are familiar with names like Walmart or Coca-Cola or Procter & Gamble, these very big companies, um, but they had been working for many years and were well known in the space. And so I was quite intrigued because this was, um, you know, an area where I'd worked. And um, prior to being at World Wildlife Fund, I had spent probably the bulk of my career um, at McKinsey & Company, global uh, con a global um, consulting firm that some people have heard of. Uh, and uh, I actually did a pro bono collaboration with World Wildlife Fund. So I knew them pretty well. Um, so I, I, you know, and they said, come in, talk to us, you know, find out about us. And I just fell in love with the organization um, and have now been there three years. But prior to that, I spent two years as the CEO of something called the Sustainability Consortium. And I came there from many years at uh, the consulting firm McKinsey & Company. So, uh, Shayla, maybe describe to our, our listeners that are excited about this, like, oh, I want to do something like that. And I want to apply my business strategies to maybe, you know, save a couple of lives or, or work on some of these these major issues like climate change, food, fresh water, yeah, yeah. wildlife, all that. What's the one example that comes to your mind um, where you've been able to take your your prior business experience and apply it to uh, the World Wildlife Fund now? That's, it's a good question because um, one of the things for a lot of folks um, who are now leaders, um, you know, like in companies, uh, heads of sustainability at a company, many of them did not actually come up by getting a degree in um, environmental management or conservation, I'm myself included. So my background, um, you know, I did an undergrad degree in applied mathematics. I was a geek. And then I um, went off and worked in investment banking and um, got an MBA. Uh, and uh, with my MBA, I went off to a global consulting firm, McKinsey and & Company, and did consulting. And it wasn't until um, I was somewhat senior in that, that I um, decided that I was really passionate about the environment. It's something that I had done on the side 
and that uh, I really wanted to dedicate my time to that. And I actually left um, McKinsey, the consulting firm, for two years and joined a, um, a foundation in their environment program. Uh, and I came back to McKinsey when they started doing some of this work and helped start up and lead what became sustainability work. So it, it was, uh, it's, it's, it's um, something that I've always been passionate about. And what I realized, the reason I left, I was at Hewlett Foundation for a short time. The reason that I decided to go back um, to working at the consulting firm was I realized my what I had to give, what I had to use, my talents that I could use to try to drive environmental impact was the fact that I worked in business and I knew how to work with business. So if I was going to have an impact, it was going to be through trying to work with business to reduce their impacts. Mm. And I could do that through consulting because that was something that I had been doing versus I didn't have the educational, you know, I wasn't a conservation person who'd got a PhD in, you know, understanding forests or something like that. What I understood was business. So I think that um, there's, you know, a piece of it is how do you bring what you uh, what you have and the talents you have towards that field and something that you're really passionate about, mm. I think is important. And what I saw um, working with a number of people who were at companies in sustainability roles is often also they brought their um, business knowledge and often the credibility they had in the business in whatever role they had. And that enabled them to um, be able to make traction with, with sustainability. I think today, it was almost like people didn't really think you were going to be credible if you came in with an environmental degree. I'm glad to see that changing. I think today, some of the young people that are doing programs in environmental management or in conservation, uh, those skills are actually much more valued today than it feels to me that they might have been you know, 10, 20 years ago. Sheila, what, what is an example that comes to your mind for a company that you've approached with the World, Life, World Wildlife Fund to say, you know, we would like to um, consult with you about some sustainable principles? What story comes to mind? What example comes to mind so we can illustrate this for our audience? Well, I think, I mean, I'm lucky in some ways that many of the companies we're working with now, we've been working with for a decade. Um, So I I think what, um, when I'm going to talk to a lot of the companies, and and I think this is the case for a lot of the, um, we, we often are looking for partners who through their scale, their reach, are gonna have an outsized impact. And many of those companies have been, you know, doing something on the environment for some period of time. But I think that um, when I am going to talk to a company and maybe maybe it'd be a company we haven't worked with, we actually are just starting a partnership in the past year with one you know Fortune 100 company that um, we haven't worked with. I think um, we're usually asking them, and what I'm looking for is how can I work with this company? And um, I, I don't have, you know, we're a nonprofit. We don't have the resources to work with many, many, many companies to drive the impact that we want to drive. We have to say, how do we work with one company that can have outsized impact? How can we have impact in a whole sector? Mm. Um, how can we really leverage 
what, what can they bring to the table that will help us to have the kind of impact at a global scale that we're going to need to see because today's environmental problems are just so huge and we can't go one company at a time. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about when I'm you know, having these conversations, which is not just what you can do in your own footprint. We need you to do that. But what can you do to influence the broader problems that we face um, on the planet? Got it. And Shelly, you mentioned uh, a few years ago, if you came in with an environmentally or socially responsible idea, you were looked down upon. Uh, how has this changed uh, over the last couple of years? And when we think of sustainability, sustaining an economical, viable plan that can help out a, a company, uh, how are you really seeing uh, implementations of these solutions work in companies? And how has the mindset shifted from some business owners? Yeah. And I think I I would say, I don't know if I was looked down upon, but I think people thought sustainability was, uh, um, how do you say? A trade-off? They thought it was a trade-off, but they also didn't think it was core, right? That's nice, Hmm. right? You go off and save the planet, but we're, you know, doing real business. Right. Right. And I think the change is that there is a realization that many of these issues, these uh, issues of sustainability, I'll take climate change as an example, that is a material issue. Mm-hmm. It is a material business risk today, and they have to look at it. It is no longer a, oh, that's a nice thing, let me write a check. So sustainability has really changed. It is not about writing a check to a nice cause. It is about the future profitability of your business, the future of have you know having a business businesses are um waking up if they haven't already to the fact that they are dependent on the natural resources and that they actually have to be stewards of the environment um because it, it is uh it, it, well just the risks and and we can talk about a particular topic say climate change or waste um and and talk about what that means but is this a realization that these are really business issues that um risk to the planet or risk to business so i think mm-hmm. that shift has and i would say you know it's it's happening faster now but it really has been in the last decade that we've seen a, a big shift and some of the signals are I, I don't know if you follow the the business press but the the business roundtable saying that purpose is more important larry fink who's the ceo of blackrock his most recent letter um, i think is pretty strongly saying these issues are important to business um, and they if we don't take them into account right these things are really going to rock the financial system so i think there is the waking up um it's sad that we have to be woken up by some of the really extreme weather events by some of the fires that we've seen but i think we're seeing those impacts of climate change today and i think there's a realization i i would say it's a little bit slow in coming but i i think it's here today so it's gone from that's a nice to have i'm going to write a check to these are material business risks that i have to deal with these issues are business issues 
Yeah, Shayla, uh, you said you're a nerd in applied mathematics. I am a nerd in business sustainable solutions as well. I cover this like a religion. Uh, and and I would say Larry Fink's letter, it, you know, for my own generation, 63% of millennials uh, believe that the sole purpose of a business is to improve society, which is very odd to think about that. I don't know if I think about that, <laughs> but that's what he's saying. And I, and I had a, a friend uh, or a, a father of a friend who is an investor who was, went to Larry Fink's uh, annual conference that he was holding for a lot of these investors. And he said, we at BlackRock will not work with you if you are not thinking about uh, the existential problems that your companies are creating for the long term. And I thought that was pretty interesting, too. But let's let's talk about some specific uh, topics then. Uh, some topics, some topical topics. Uh, how about the climate change first? Now, yep. climate change uh, impacts everything. Uh, so it is a very broad topic. But what are some of the things that the World Wildlife Fund is focused on when, they, when you're thinking of, of, of climate change? And what are some of, uh, I guess, how was your role impacting uh, the decrease of, of uh, greenhouse gases? Yeah, so we're doing a number of things. Um, I, I think think about uh, how you have to address an issue, an environmental issue like this, and particularly from a corporate perspective. So I'll speak a little bit about what we're doing with companies, because that's the area I run at um, at World Wildlife Fund. But we really want to engage companies um, across the board in what they do. So there's the first, which is around their own impacts and their own footprint. And World Wildlife Fund has been a key um, uh contributor and starter of what is called the science-based target initiative, which I think is really important. Companies setting targets for their emissions reduction based on what the science tells us is needed. So originally that was, you know, on a two degree pathway because that's what the science body, the IPCC said, you know, this is what we need to avoid the most catastrophic impacts of climate change. Now, today, they're saying it has to be well below two degrees centigrade. That's two degrees increase in temperature since um, industrial times. And we've already risen one degree and we're seeing the kinds of impacts we're seeing. And that will only get um, substantially worse if it goes up. Right. So today, a, a target that would be in line with science would be in line with not increasing the temperature by more than 1.5 degrees or well below two degrees, basically. Um, So that's, I think, a starting point of how do you get companies to actually have in their own operations with their own footprint to uh, reduce the impact. But we also are very involved. Like I said, we're always looking at how can you drive broader than just one company? Um, and there are a lot of, number of companies, uh, you know, over, I think it's close to 300, or I should say over 300 now, I'm not sure the number of companies that have committed to science-based targets, or at least have signed up to commit to science-based targets, because um, you have to get your target approved by the initiative. So that's one thing, their footprint. But then you think about how do you drive broader impact? Well, we worked with a number of companies, I'll think of like Procter & Gamble. They said, we want to have renewable energy. Um, but uh, the renewable energy, uh, I can't access it if it's not on the grid, right? And I'm not the only purchaser of that energy. Do other companies have this problem? And could we, um, well, I'd say what we did is we said other people, companies have this problem. Can we convene those companies so that they can be 
joining their voice and working together to drive how we get more renewables on the grid. And there are many, you know, how do you do it? How do you go about it? There's a lot of, you know, learnings and things that we could share. And we formed something called the Renewable Energy Buyers Alliance, which ends up being Reba has a nice um, sound and uh, really were able to mobilize a lot of companies who are like-minded to try to increase the amount of renewables in the U.S. So that is one another way that we have impact. Um, we also want to drive the policy agenda. And um, when we were looking at, the administration was looking at a pulling out of the Paris Agreement, we got involved in actually help start something called We're Still In It, which is an initiative. It's not just companies, it's um, also state and local governments. It's basically all non, we call it non-state, which doesn't make sense because in our country it's states, but like in other countries, a non-state would be basically not the federal federal level um, actors uh, to sign up to say, we are still committed to what the Paris Agreement has committed to. So, and the Paris Agreement was kind of like the the government, you know, level and uh, of of staying in line with science. It's basically how do we stay below uh, or you know under two degrees uh, increase um, since pre-industrial levels. So that was mobilizing um, the voice of business. Um, and then there are many other ways that we do as well in terms of, you know, showing up in forums and, you know, mobilizing the, um, the presence and the brand of companies to try to influence policymakers or others in the direction of, um, of, of moving towards the right solutions. So those are just a few ways and examples around climate that we work. Uh, those are those are great examples as well. I didn't know about Reba. That's very that's very cool. Yeah, it was, we just spun it off this year. Actually, now it's an independent entity. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, a terrific um, organization. Well, what we try to uh, uh, convey to a lot of our, our listeners is that uh, everyone has an impact, uh, and businesses have a, a major impact. And kind of what you were describing there, and, and folks, when you think of climate change, we're talking about decreasing the greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide, methane, things like that. Uh, transportation is a big part of that. Businesses use up a lot of energy, is what Shayla was just referring to, reducing the carbon footprint, lowering it back to, to, to two degrees. Um, these are things that we we can control as businesses and steps that, like you said, the initial step to get them thinking that way. Now, Shayla, the question for you I have is uh, a lot of more funding has gone into impact investing. A lot more funding has gone into uh, social enterprises, yet these problems still exist. Do you think market-driven solutions are the answer to our climate problems? I think that um, one of the issues with climate uh, is... And part of this is uh, it's a you know, you talk about the problem of the commons and um, it is not priced in. Right. So one of the issues that's very difficult is it's voluntary. So do I think that that market based solutions? Yes, I think that we could. I think, you know, businesses are incredible and they can innovate. Right. But we are working in a disadvantage here when um they aren't properly priced in. So I think there needs to be policy ultimately. Like mm. we can do a huge amount 
um, in a voluntary way. But then what you're what you've got is a number of companies sort of doing, you know, everything they can. And I do think that um, I, you know, I'm fairly optimistic. We work with a number of leading companies that are really um, are are really doing great things around climate. But there are still others, and there are industries where we are not having progress. And I think that ultimately on some of these issues that, uh, that are not, you know, they're not priced appropriately. We do need policy. Uh, yeah. You mentioned, uh, there are some areas still that are not improving. Uh, for instance, an example of an area that is improving our renewable energies. It's, it's increasing, it's going up the way and coal is decreasing. Uh, but one, uh, person that came on the show told me what is getting larger and larger are yield gaps among smallholder farmers, as well as, uh, food insecurity is increasing. So food being a big a topic, we all eat it. We all need it. Yet by 20, 50, I think I read, it was like, I read uh, that the food supply will have to double by 2050, but the guest on the show yesterday who works on smallholder farming says it's going to have to increase 70%, uh, which is pretty scary to think about. That's mind-boggling. What what is the World Wildlife Fund? Uh, What are you you all doing? Yeah, no, and we do work with a lot of companies, obviously, on this topic. Um, So, first of all, when I think about food, uh, food has a tremendous environmental impact. Um, in a number of ways. Uh, It's why we have a program in food. Um, I should just say, you know, World Wildlife Fund, what do we work in? You think of the panda and you think of wildlife, but what we care about and um, the reason we're in food to sort of get there is we sort of started in wildlife. If we, you know, think 50, 60 years ago when World Wildlife Fund started and we cared about that and we realized very quickly that if you care about wildlife, you have to care about their habitats. And what are their habitats? forests, fresh water, oceans, right? So those are programs within our work in World Wildlife Fund. But you also have to care about the threats to those places. And that's why we care about climate change. Climate change is the biggest threat to all of the, you know, high conservation value places that we care about. And food production Hmm. is the other very big threat. Um, And when we look at food production and the impact that it has on the environment, one of the first impacts and biggest impacts is um, issues like deforestation or land conversion. So you're taking um, really high conservation value and you're uh, turning it into agriculture. And that can have many, many impacts. It is has a climate impact. It has, you know, freshwater impact. It's, you know, on the air. And I mean, there's so many impacts. Um, but uh, uh, so, so when you think about this increasing production of food, when food production has so many impacts. So there's first when you change the land, land use change. And then secondly, the impacts that it has on the land itself. So, you know, depending if you're using um, fertilizers or pesticides, um, those are impacts into your water or the use of water. So most of the fresh water around the planet uh, it, that is that is you is used for agriculture. It's something like I don't know seventy percent. I don't know my if my numbers is, are exactly yep. right. Um, I could be corrected by some of my colleagues, but um, it's it's very high. So you have to worry about um, people's you know the water for for communities and things like that, and for nature that we need. Right. So we need water for many things. 
but we're going to be compounded with the fact that climate change is also going to stress water in many places. So, so the first off is that food has an enormous environmental impact. Um, but I think that when I think about what do we do about that, one of the very first things you have to realize is we today, we waste something like 30% of food, food waste. And it's through, you know, there's food, we call it food loss and waste because some of it happens on, on the, um, in the fields and throughout, you know, the, the making of the food, but a lot of it then happens once it is become food. So when I think about what do we do about the um, environmental impact of food, one of the first things, the easiest things, because food waste is, you know, like you're talking about food insecurity. Well, it's also a cost and it has this enormous environmental cost. So the very first thing is you've got to focus on food waste. So we do a lot of work on food waste throughout the value chain, right? From, you know, crops all the way through to, you know, after it is on our plate and, you know, we, we bin it if we haven't eaten it. Um, so that, I think that's an important um, piece of the puzzle. And then I think um, the other piece of the puzzle is looking at what is the production and consumption of food and how do we think of lowering the impact of that. Um, and the production, it's looking at agri- you know, the agricultural methods. So what are we doing on the farm and around that? And then the consumption is looking at you know, what, what, what is, what kinds of foods, the, the, the mix and diet and all of that are also issues to be looked at. So I think you need to look at the full spectrum, but I always say start, um, it's a lot easier to start with not wasting it in the first place Mm. than it is to, for example, say, Oh, people now need to change their diet. Right. Um, I think those are difficult questions to ask. And Shelly, you, you're alluding to something, which is all these problems are so intertwined and interconnected. You started with uh, CO2 and then we're, we're the World Wildlife Fund. We're in conservancy, but that habitats are affected by that and agriculture and yeah, now it's absolutely. food supply and then we're in the value chain. It's all connected. So the question I have for you, Shayla, is it, can we solve this problem and why is it important to you? I don't know if it's um, that we can solve uh, this problem, right? Uh, because I, I'm like, which one? <laughs> right. But, uh, so, so I'll say, um, you know, I think that, uh, I think that there's a number of problems to solve and I think we can make progress on many of them, maybe all of them, but we have to recognize that we're solving, um, systems problems, the complexity and the interrelatedness of them. Mm-hmm. So um, I think one of the things that uh, I find, and I, I find it the easiest to explain when I talk about plastic waste, because that's like everybody's really hot topic, right? But um, there are always not, I don't want to say there's always trade-offs, but there's often trade-offs because we think we're going to go after a single environmental problem. I'm going to go after plastic waste. I think plastic is, I'll go, well, oh, therefore my knee jerk reaction is let's just get rid of all plastic. Plastic must be bad. And then you say, well, wait a minute. I have this problem over here, climate change. And plastic actually plays a big role in helping me with climate change because it lightweights a lot of things. So if I made everything, you know, containers that I put all these you know, the things that I put plastic in, if now I put them in glass and now I ship them all over the world and they're heavier and now I'm increasing my CO2 um, and also the cost of making the glass, you know. So 
maybe that's not what I should do because now I maybe solved the problem of the plastic waste in the ocean, but I've caused the problem over here. And I think we, you have to think systemically about how do I, or holistically about how do I solve that problem? Um, something like plastic waste, you have to say, I don't want to trade off climate for the plastic problem. Um, I don't want to trade off. Sometimes people say, oh, well, let's get rid of the plastic, but you know, it really helps us for food. And now I'm getting into the problem I was just talking about, food waste. Right. I don't I don't package my food well because I don't want any plastic. And now I'm wasting food. And actually, that has a worse environmental impact than the plastic did in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I, I personally think there's many, many things we can do to solve plastic waste. Um, but we just the, one of the, one of the key things is let's not trade off that problem for other problems. Let's actually solve it holistically and. Um, ensure that we're, you know, making the wisest choice, which may mean we still use plastic, but we find ways to use less. We find ways to recycle, you know, those kinds of things. Shayla, I really like your concept of the knee jerk reaction, uh, especially the plastic, so many misconceptions with it, uh, especially when people have a knee jerk reaction and then will lobby to their, uh, you know, uh, a representative and then something oh, yeah. like it's put into place and then we find out later oh wait we shouldn't have done that we should have looked at like you said a little bit more holistically let's go back to the government's role in this and how can government create incentives for something like this and what are some examples that come to your mind of doing this the right way um well i think uh you know gosh wow um I was thinking what government does because it's not uh, necessarily my expertise because I'm usually thinking about companies. Uh, I, I do think that we've had some uh, some good regulations around environmental issues. I mean, I think with the Clean Water Act is a great example, right, where it's the realization that we all need that. And if we don't have regulation, then we won't um, see it happening. Uh, and I think there is a number. Of, I mean, I would love to see climate regulation. I probably don't want to be prescriptive and say exactly what it is because there's, you know, all, all different um, uh, good potentials, right? There's a number of good solutions. I'm like, I just want to see one of them. Um, but uh, I think when we have these, um, you know, it's trying not to use the big word externalities, but that's what it is, is um, these things that aren't priced. But when we have some of these externalities, we really do need to see regulation to ensure that, you know, we have things like clean water, that we have clean air, right? A clean air act. Um, I think that I'm hoping that we'll start to see, especially with the recognition around climate change, that we'll see we need regulation around that. So good regulation helps us actually take those externalities, those things that aren't priced in, um, and create uh, constraints. And then I think from a business perspective, they can function within the constraints. And again, go back to my mathematical thinking, like if you put constraints in, then you can optimize in a new space. And companies are really good at optimizing and innovating, but we need to sometimes put some of the constraints in and we need it to be an even playing field so that we do it across the board. Does capitalism need to be updated in order to do that? I, you know, honestly, I think that, um, you know, when I think of uh, the environment, I don't think that capitalism needs to be changed. We need good regulations in and then 
it can, the market can work within those bounds. So I think it's one of these things where what is the, the system that they operate in? And we need to make sure that the rules of the system work, but capitalism itself is pretty good. I mean, you can complain about it. It's one of these things like, but there isn't anything better, <laughs> right? right? So, you know, we have to, how do we make it work? Because it does work pretty well, but it doesn't work around some of these um, externalities because they, they, they aren't taken into account. And we need to create constraints um, to make it work. And the reason I ask that, Shell, is just because I think of capitalism as a system. And you were mentioning yeah. systems in place, so that's why I'd ask that question. It, yeah, it is, a, it is a system, but uh, yeah, yeah. Like, like a software update on a phone. It has to be updated every now and then, uh, you know? Yeah, so, exactly. That's exactly right. It needs to be updated. I just don't think we throw it away. I guess maybe I was reacting because I, I think either. some people yeah, are yeah. like, oh, oh, you know, capitalism's bad. I'm like, well, what, what do you have that's better? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, I completely agree with you 100%. Uh, so we've mentioned the interconnectedness of all these challenges and these these problems and solutions as well. Uh, when we think about uh, from a, a municipal side, from a, a social side, an environmental side, from a, a citizen side, what type of leadership is needed throughout the entire world in order to to you know, create this movement of you know let's get on the same page here? Did I get through to you, Sheila? You rephrase okay, the uh, um, so I'll. Yeah, I'm sorry that the sound stopped for a second. So the um, what kind of leadership is needed? You know, I think uh, I think we need leadership across the different sectors. Um, but when I look at the corporate sector, I'm looking for leaders that are trying to solve these systemic problems and bringing all their assets to it. Um, so, you know, I said, I look for companies that are going to like have outsized impact beyond their own four walls, beyond their own business. Um, I want them to help us to drive the right policy decisions. Like we were talking about the need for policy. Um, and you know, I want them to lend their voice and their brand to driving the solutions. So I think leadership is really going beyond like I'm doing my own thing and I'm, you know, I kind of don't do any wrong to really saying, how do I actually change the world? And I think, um, mm. I guess if I were to expand that to kind of what do I expect from government? Well, I would like our government to sort of think about not just our own interests and, you know, we're taking care of ourselves, but how do we make sure the planet is going to be whole, right? So not I'm going to be competitive and I want my GDP, but how do we actually make sure we're going beyond that and that we're going to be functioning in a world and that is, you know, is going to be here for our grandchildren? How do we think that way? So that's what I think the leadership that we need is for us all not to be just thinking about our own um, you know, our own self, our own house, but to be thinking about how, what are we doing for future generations and how do we go beyond our own, you know, our own little purview. I, I, I can relate to that. And, and the reason that at a, at a small level, uh, I'm just thinking of like employee engagement, you're with private sector engagement. Yep. What is a key to getting people engaged to getting people to feel like they have a purpose, to getting people excited about what they're doing. I think it's good. You know, we we um, work, we do do um, in our work, uh, 
what I consider um, consumer engagement and an employee engagement. Um, we do some cause marketing. I think that, um, you know, one of it is that we need to uh, sometimes we do ourselves a disservice in the environmental space in that our issues are so complicated, right? You and I were just talking about how they're systemic and, you know, you can dig into any topic. I start talking about climate change and then I have to explain, well, what do I mean by two degrees? And I, you know, have, you talk about, well, what about methane? And like, we start talking about all these different things that are pretty complicated. And for the average person, they may not understand. Um, they can understand that, oh, we're having more fires or, oh, we're having more disasters. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a piece of this, which is it's got to be tangible. I think people have picked up on, um, for example, uh, plastic, because they interact with plastic daily, right? They've got, and they see it, it's visible. So one of the things I think for people is um, to, how does it, how does it come home to me? And trying to help them actually sort of have it be more tangible and more understandable. I think one of the best ways, um, and maybe it's why I love an organization like World Wildlife Fund, you know, when you see the impact on a turtle, I love, personally, I love sea turtles. And you see a sea turtle eating a plastic bag, right? That helps you feel this is a tangible thing. Um, and I, it's just so sad that the mm. fires right now in Australia and you see, you know, a, a panda bear that's been, you know, hurt by the fire, not a panda, excuse me, a koala bear. I'm thinking of pandas, but you know, a koala bear that's been hurt by the fires and how that makes you feel. Um, and by the way, we do have a fund right now for the Australia fires um, because it's, uh, it's just devastating the wildlife. So one of the things that I've, um, that, you know, just helps me a little bit uh, because I care about wildlife is um, that, you know, when you think about your actions, that they will have impact and how are they going to have impact? Um, And you think about, you know, the impact of some of those issues. But I think for many of us, it has to sort of feel tangible. We have to see it. We can't just talk about abstract ideas and concepts. We have to be able to simplify it and bring it home. And I also think it's helpful to know that there's simple things that you can do. You know, you're riding your bike instead of is simple and we can do that or you know can i not have to um i can use a reusable cup when i go to get my coffee um at the starbucks or the other you know place that i'm going to get my coffee um that kind of thing i think um also is helpful is that when we we have real actions that we can do that we can feel good about I really like that answer, Shayla. Uh, getting people to realize their their impact, their their worth. I mean, that's to me a, a trait of leadership. Whether you're on a basketball team uh, or the head true. of a, a corporation that's or a, a small point. company, what would you say at the end of this discussion? Your definition of a real leader. Um, I think it, it. You know, I think about it, and I guess it comes back to what I was saying: is is going beyond yourself and thinking about how do I have impact on others and what's beyond me. Um, I think that's really important. Is uh, really, you know, pulling that inside the impacts that are that are broader and saying how am I doing things for, you know, others on the planet beyond myself. 
Shayla, I appreciate your time coming on the Reelers podcast today. We talked about a lot. Uh, we talked about initially, how'd you get into this career? Uh, man, we went down a lot of interconnected problems today. Uh, how the, the wildlife uh, conservancy started uh, to its habitats, the agriculture, to the value chain. Everything is interconnected and we kind of broke down also what are some market-driven solutions that can help those things out today uh knee-jerk reactions understanding your impact uh so i just want to thank you for coming on the show today uh for shayla bonini uh the uh, senior vice president of private sector engagement at the world wildlife fund i'm kevin edwards asking you to go out there go beyond yourself people and always keep it real thanks shayla thank you very much And once again, folks, thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you to all the subscribers out there who made this podcast possible. Folks, let's keep it going. The momentum is picking up and we are certainly feeling it at Real Leaders. More and more guests are wanting to come onto the show and it's all because of you. So let's keep it going. Let's have a good week and let's keep it real. <laughs>